0: I want to show you how to pray, how to start it.
1: Hi, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Pastor Jeff shares some advice on kickstarting your prayer life in order to be in a living, vibrant relationship with our Creator.
0: Most of the problems that happen in our world, anxiety, depression, fear, worry, all the things that just overwhelm you in your life every day, most of it is a result of not being in close communication with the Shepherd of your soul. This is Today with Jeff Vines. I want to get started. I want you to repeat something after me. I'm going to say it a couple times, then I want, I want to engage you right in the message, important message. And it goes like this. Prayer is the continuation of a conversation that God began in you a long time ago. Let me say it again. Prayer is the continuation of a conversation that God began a long time in you. Can you say it with me now? Count of three. Here we go. One, two, three. Prayer is the continuation of a conversation that God began in you a long time ago. Let's say it again. Prayer is the continuation of a conversation that God began in you a long time ago. Now what most of us don't realize is that you've been listening and hearing the voice of God from the time you were very, very small. The first time you saw the ocean and you had this incredible... Uh, Temptation in you to thank somebody but you didn't know who to say thank you to. First time you saw something that just overwhelmed you. First time you saw something that you had no explanation for other than God. Uh, When you're a little boy, a little girl and you begin to think about praying, you begin to think about God, you begin to think about beauty. All of those things are God's way of compelling you and drawing you in. Now all of us, all of us come to God at different times in our lives and we each respond differently to God. That's that's why not all, or not one size fits all. Uh, God knows your personality. Personality, your temperament, he knows what will communicate to you to get you to the door of salvation. You you with me? So let's say there's a door here, and it's the door God's trying to get you to so that you can use your freedom to walk in. Uh, For some of you, uh, you're hard headed. Can we be honest? And for God to get you, he's going to have to bring some calamity in your life. You're never going to stop and think about God until God pulls the rug out from underneath you, and then you'll say, wow, man, there is something beyond. I need some help outside of myself. So you might have seen calamity as something that, well, uh, that wasn't God. Well, sure it was. More often than you believe or think, God's using something to open your eyes, and it's not his fault we're so hard-headed. So he rips something out from under you so that you'll start to seek and pursue him, hopefully getting to the door of salvation. Others of you, you don't need calamity. You're just kind of easygoing. You just need kind of a clear revelation. You need to see something you haven't seen before, and boom, you're ready to walk in. The point is, When the time comes that you do walk in, as you get ready to step through the door, and when I talk about the door, I'm talking about salvation by grace through faith, you get to the point in your life when you realize that the only way you're going to get to God is if your sins are forgiven. The only way you can stand before a holy God is if somehow your sins have been dealt with. Jesus took care of that. Now you're at the door and you have to decide whether or not you're going to walk in. Some people don't walk in because they say, I know what's on the other side. Man, if I give my life to Jesus, my life is no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. I'm no longer the God or the captain of my life. There's another God. There's a God who oversees my life. There's a God who dictates the events of my life. There's a God who's continually working in me. I would rather stay on this side of the door where I rule my own life. And so a lot of people get to the door. Because God gets everybody to the door at some point in their lives. I believe that. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. You come to the door. you got to decide whether you're going to step in or not. Some people say no. Now, if you do step in, something remarkable happens. Now, let me say it again. When you get to the door... You find yourself there, but you know you're not alone. You know that there have been events working in your life all your life. You know down deep inside that's true. There's a sense of beyond. For me, it was uh, my grandma Bessie who had memorized most of the New Testament who shared that with me. It was my Sunday school teacher, Sarah Smith, who used the flannel graph board, remember that, to tell the stories of the New Testament. You've got people in your life that God brought around you to get you, to woo you, it's the divine romance to get you to come to the door and then to make a decision to walk through it. He's not going to make you walk through it, but he's going to put all kinds of things and orchestrate all kinds of events around you to get you to the door, but you've got to walk through. If you walk through, something beautiful happens. It's beautiful. As a matter of fact, Jesus describes it in John 10 like this. He says, The gatekeeper comes to the gate, opens the gate for you, and the sheep recognize his voice, and they come in. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out, And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. Here's what the Bible teaches. That prayer is a conversation, a continuing conversation, the continuation of a conversation that God began in you a long time ago. And when you get to the door, if you walk through, something dramatic happens and it's this. Not only are you saved, but now you hear the voice of the shepherd more clearly There's a voice in your head. Maybe it's a voice of conviction. Maybe it's, it's a voice of prodding. Notice that Jesus uses the example of a shepherd and a sheep. In the Western world, shepherds tend to drive the sheep from behind. But in the Eastern world, in which Jesus is talking about, they tend to lead the sheep from the front. The shepherd is said to call you. And if you walk through the door, you hear and recognize his voice and you follow. Now, here's the problem. Most of our lives... We know after we've walked through the door that God is speaking. We know that there's something beyond. We want to embrace it. We want to hear it. We want to have community with God. We want to feel his presence. We want to hear Him speak. The problem is most of us will go through our entire lives never engaging God in the way that he was meant to be engaged because we hear the voice. We just don't know what to do next. Very few sermons will you hear in your life about this issue of how to communicate with God, of how to how to facilitate and catalyze that intimacy whereby you will never feel alone again because every day will be a journey with God. You will hear God speaking. You will respond to God and suddenly your spiritual vitality comes alive. Let me tell you, most of the problems that happen in our world, anxiety, now not all of anxiety. Remember, I'm speaking... Not theoretically, I have this disorder, so I know what I'm talking about here. Anxiety, depression, fear, worry, all the things that just overwhelm you in your life every day, most of it is a result of not being in close communication with the shepherd of your soul. And so your soul knows it's not living for the eternal. It's frustrated. And so there is disappointment and there is depression and there is anxiety and there is fear because when you are tight and one with God, when the shepherd speaks and you hear and you understand and you recognize his voice, those things begin to dissipate and disappear so much that the Bible says that you'll have a peace in your life that passes all understanding. Now, what's the problem then? I want to show you how to pray, how to start it. Because a lot of you hear a sermon on prayer and you're motivated and you last about a week. And you do so because you get lost in the silence. You don't know what to do, what to go, and you don't even know, is God even listening? I want to take you through that, but first I have to give you a couple of prerequisites. You ready? Stay with me now, please. I am hoping and praying that this is the weekend for many of you, that you're catapulted to another level with God there's no shortcut. Let me give you a warning. There's no shortcut. And I need your attention. But if, if you're, listen, if it is your goal to be close to God, to hear the voice of God, to respond to God, and to sense his presence every day in your life, there's no shortcut.
1: Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. His message is called Kickstarting Your Prayer Life. Let's continue.
0: I'm giving you a message that didn't originate from myself, really. It's been taught by the reformers. It's been taught by Augustine, by the church fathers, by Luther. It's gone on for many, many years. There's been much written, but the church today very seldom talks about it. I need your attention. The first thing is this. Remember, if you're gonna start to pray and have this kind of relationship with God, you came to Christ with humility. You remain with Christ in humility. You came because you recognize there's no way you can come to God other than Through the Savior, Jesus, through Jesus Christ. And because there's nobody else who atoned for your sins. So you don't come to God because you've been good and because you've earned it. You come to God because Jesus died for you and you're forgiven of your sins and now you have a rightful place as a son or daughter of God to come into his presence. That same humility must go with you into your prayer life. You cannot approach God until you reorder your love. Stay with me. There's another statement by Augustine. I'm going to say it, then I want us to repeat it together. You must account yourself desolate in this world, however great the prosperity of your lot may be. Let's say it together on the count of three. One, two, three. You must account yourself desolate in this world, however great the prosperity of your lot may be. Let's say it again. You must account yourself desolate in this world, however great the prosperity of your lot may be. Let me tell you what Augustine means. If you're going to pray and you're going to receive God and you're going to this relationship, here's what he means. Before I met my wife, Robin, I had little to no interest in women. And there wasn't anything wrong with me. It's just that in my mind, women required too much time and too much money. They wanted quality time and they wanted gifts. And you had to take them out to movies and to dinners and that's expensive. So really, I had no interest. I had basketball. I had my college life and high school life. I was quite happy without women. Now, when you meet the right one, all that's thrown out the window, right? It doesn't matter what you feel or think. When you meet the right one, boom. So I went from not being interested in women at all to having no other interest other than a woman. You got it? Everything shifted. Everything changed. There was a reordering of my loves. I really thought... And my friends thought I'd lost it. They they said, Jeff, what's wrong with you, man? In basketball practice, I was chewed out regularly by my coach. Vines, get your head in the game, man. Where are you at? What are you thinking about? And everybody on the team knew I was thinking about Robin. Where's Robin? You know, I'd I'd go to movies. I'd go to movies and I'd watch a movie and see a beautiful girl. i thought, yeah, but she's not half as beautiful as my Robin. Where's Robin? I don't even remember the plot. I should have never even gone to the movie. We'd go out to eat. I'd think about wherever we were. Where's Robin? I thought if I could get Robin, then everything else would fall into place. Where's Robin? I'm going to write a book. Where's Rod- well, Where's Robin? Okay. <laughs> Until our loves, the Bible tells us, are reordered. Until, listen, until your greatest passion, until God goes to the top, until he goes to the top and you've reordered your loves and your biggest concern is what God is doing in your life and in his world and in your world and your passion and pursuit, until he gets to the top of the list, your prayers are going to be nothing less or nothing more than worrying in God's direction. What you're going to do is you're going to use God to pursue your top priority loves. And you're going to hope that he helps you get them. And if that's the whole totality of your life position in prayer, you're never going to get God. And you're never going to have that intimacy and community you were meant to have. Now, guys, look, can I talk to you just for a moment? Just you and me, man to man. You say, no, too bad. You're in the audience and I'm speaking. Here's the deal. Here's the guys, really, seriously. What are we? We are little boys still looking for approval. You are and so am I. And we have to fight it every day. Think about it. Why is it that you want a better job, more money? Why do you strive for those things? Because you have this deep down concern that maybe you don't matter and that your life is mediocre and average. And you just hope that if you make a lot of money and have a big house, people will notice you and recognize you. And this sense of insignificance that you have, this debilitating sense, will dissipate through wealth and finance and friendship. And so... You and I, together, we're still little boys trying to get the world to look at us, to tell us that we matter. When I was a little boy, I would actually take my mother's jaw and turn it toward me and say, look at me, mom, look at me. When she wouldn't look, I'm busy, son, and I would would literally take her jaw and pull it. Look at me, mom. That's all we are, little boys, still saying to the world, look at us, look at me, look at me, we matter, we're important. And so our prayer life, guys, our prayer life never makes it past that shallowness of God help me get my loves. So that I can matter until God becomes the thing which ultimately you pursue. The other things will not fall into place and your life will be a struggle and a frustration and it will be filled with emptiness, anxiety, depression, whatever. You can laugh at me all you want and you can say, well, I hear what you're saying, but I'll probably never get there. Okay. Here's the news. God still loves you. Yeah, that's right. Saved by grace through faith. Never going to change. God loves you. He's pulling for you, but it's not the life you were meant to live in Christ. And you'll never know what it is to have that joy. You must come to him in humility. Remember the movie uh, Fiddler on the Roof? Anybody? Is anybody old enough to remember that? How many of you have never seen Fiddler on the Roof? Raise your hands high. Be be honest. Wow! That's amazing. Go get it. See it. One of the greatest movies of all time. Tevye. Remember the song of Tevye? Those who have seen it. If I were a rich man. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Remember the next line? No, you don't. Okay, I'm going to help you. He says, if I were a rich man, I'd build a big tall house with rooms by the dozen right in the middle of town. Now, why would he build it in the middle of town? So everybody can see it. He said, I'd have staircases going up, staircases going down, and staircases going nowhere just because I can He said, I'd fill my yard with chicks and turkeys and geese and ducks for the town to see and hear squawking just as noisily as they can with each loud chirp or squawk or honk or quack would land like the trumpet on the ear as if to say, here lives a wealthy man. And he says, most importantly, I'd see my wife looking like a rich man's wife with a proper double chin. I'd see her putting on airs and strutting like a peacock. What's the point of Tevier. He wants to be wealthy, but he wants to be wealthy because he wants to be noticed. I'm saying to you that our prayers are more often than not motivated by a lesser love. And until God becomes the ultimate love, until you start there, your prayers will be worrying in God's direction at best. Now, here's something else I want us to say together. I am nothing without Jesus, and without Jesus, nothing else matters. On the count of three, one, two, three. I am nothing without Jesus, and without Jesus, nothing else matters. Once you admit your desolation apart from Jesus, you can begin to pray. And it's not like you can't pray for the big things. We're going to talk about that next weekend. You can still pray for the big things, but when you make God the priority and the highest love of your life, and you realize, I can't live without God and the knowledge and the intimacy and relationship with him, once you do that, your prayers are going to change. They're going to become like this, Proverbs 30, give me neither poverty or riches, feed me with food appropriate for me, lest I be full and deny you, or lest I be poor and still and take the name of the Lord in vain. Do you hear what he's saying? Let me hear, let me translate that for you. God, open the windows of heaven and pour out your blessings on me, but don't give me too much. Don't give me so much that now I would have the means and the wherewithal to be distracted by something else I can afford. Is that America? Come on now. Don't give me so much that I would start to make entering your sanctuary with Thanksgiving an option. Don't give me so much that I could afford to do other things than to build your kingdom. You know why my African friends have this down and why they pray like they pray? is because they have nothing else to do. No other distractions. Other than to live off the land from day to day. And so they talk to God from morning till afternoon to evening. You and I have to realize that our prayers will change when we put God at the highest level. It's like a boy who breaks his truck. He's two years old and he breaks his truck and he starts crying and his dad comes and says, Son, don't cry. We just got a fax from your uncle. You've inherited $200 million. What does the boy do? He cries louder. He doesn't understand the capacity of $200 million. He just knows that his toy truck is broken. Augustine said Christians lack the spiritual capacity to see all that we have in Jesus. And because of that, he's a lesser love. If you're gonna pray and you really wanna start this relationship with God, you've gotta put him at the top. His will, his desire, his plan for your life, and you've gotta seek it with all your heart. Now, One more thing. Notice in the Lord's Prayer, when the disciples say, Jesus, teach us to pray. Notice how it starts, our Father who art in heaven, will be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's the next line? Give us this day our daily bread. So you got four lines of reminding yourself the power, the authority, the love, our Father, and the will of God before you ever get to a request. Jesus is teaching you and me that before we start to pray and to ask for things that are dear to our heart, to remind ourselves of our love and the power and authority and our relationship with God. Now, after that, stay with me. One more little piece of the puzzle, and then we'll talk about how to praise more specifically. Viktor Frankl wrote a book called The Meaning of Life or Man's Search for Meaning. My friend John Brainerd, who's the chairman of our Board of Elders, reminded me of a statement that is made in that book. Success is not pursued it ensues. Can we say that together? On the count of three, here we go. One, two, three. Success is not pursued, it ensues. Let's say it again. Success is not pursued, it ensues. Now, you know what that means? It means that if you aim for success, you're probably gonna miss it. But if you do all the little things required, it will ensue just by natural cause and effect. For instance, you want a happy marriage? If you shoot for the goal of a happy marriage, you probably won't get it. But if you learn your wife's love language and you spend quality time with her and you ask her what her hopes and dreams are, And you exhibit patience and self-control and a sense of self-abandonment, living your life, sacrificing what is required for this relationship. If you do those little things along the way, guess what the goal will be? Guess what will ensue a successful marriage? The apostle Paul in Philippians 3 says, what I want to do, my goal, the thing I want is I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him as he seeks to be known. And then he gives you the formula. He says, so this is what I do. I put everything behind me, all the failures, and I put them behind me. And I count everything in this life as rubbish compared to the passion and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I will stretch toward the tape. I will keep reaching out. I will stretch and I will strain and knowing that one day when I do the little things right, success will ensue. Now, here's our problem. Let me give you the problem, then the solution and we're done. You with me still? Please hear me. Here's the problem. You want fast food prayer. You want to go by the window. Hey, God, uh, love you. Thank you. Help me. Goodbye that's what you want and you want that to create this in depth think about if you did that to your wife hey honey going to work see ya that's it how deep's your relationship if you don't actually come home and sit down and talk we want we want grenade prayer God give me what I want and need love you boom I'm busy you gotta go but the worst kind of prayer that we want is feel good prayer discipline Prayer is unattractive and seldom done in the West. You have to know that this is a temptation. The idea of duty and discipline does not appeal to most of us. We're only going to do things that make us feel good. If it doesn't feel good, we're out of here. Now, it may feel good once or twice, but it doesn't feel good the third time, we'll try something else. So you start to pray because you feel guilty and you think you should. It feels good for a couple times, but then it doesn't feel good. So you just Stop. My father taught me a lesson in this that has to be a prerequisite before I ask you or to teach you how should we pray. And it's this. We were out in the summer. We'd play uh, uh, baseball in our yard because we had the biggest yard in the neighborhood. I had three brothers. July is hot. It would be 100 degrees outside with 100 degrees humidity. That feels like you're taking a shower as you're outside. And so we're playing baseball. My older brother and my younger brother did not get along very well. They were very different in personality and temperament. My younger brother had this uncanny ability that we would go out to play baseball and somehow his team would always get the bat first. So they would go and they would bat and we would play the field. Then, as soon as it was our turn, since we got three outs and it was our turn to bat, we would turn our backs and we would go to the plate to turn around and only find that our younger brother had done a Houdini, he's gone, disappeared. You know those kind of kids? They wanna bat but they don't wanna play the field. This would frustrate my older brother to the nth degree, that finally one day he was walking toward home plate, and he turned just in time to see my younger brother, his arch enemy, uh, walking around the corner of the garage trying to escape playing the field. My older brother, without thinking, he usually had much more wisdom than this, took the baseball bat and he heaved it 30 yards like a flying helicopter. Time stood still because I watched that bat and as soon as it left my brother's hands, I started to thinking... That's going to hit my brother. Now, usually that wouldn't happen, but when in family's concerned, Murphy's Law kicks in in full force. And so I saw the bat, so did my brother, and my older brother went from this to this. And the bat struck my brother Tony just as he was rounding the corner right in the back of the head, dropped him like a wounded duck. And he's laying on the ground. My mother saw the whole thing from inside the window. She came running out. and says, young boys, come here. You're going to get it when your dad gets home. Three words you never want to hear. Dad gets home. Dad pulled in his Chevrolet. We were all nervous. We were scared. We're not actually me. I haven't done anything. So I was just watching the whole thing unfold. My mother came outside and she said to my father something about their two young boys. My dad did what he always did. No words. He just went. And we all came running. Now, I wanted to be there. I wanted this is going to be good. I mean, I was innocent. I had done anything. I want to see what's going to happen. My dad looked at my two brothers. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, both of you, to make your mother cry like this. Well, I didn't see her cry. I guess she was crying. To make your mother cry, here's your punishment. And he handed out the punishment, grounding or whatever, and then he said something. And there was a response. I'll never forget. He said to my younger brother, he said, now you, hug your brother. Hug your brother. <laughs> hug your brother. And my brother, my brother, Tony responded by saying this, but I don't feel like it. And my dad said, it's got nothing to do with feelings and everything to do with duty. You are your brother's keeper. Now you hug your brother. Now here's the point. We don't like the word duty and discipline anymore because that requires something from us. Prayer is not only an opportunity, it is an obligation. It is a command of scripture. It is your duty to pray for your family, to pray for one another, to pray for your church, and to pray for yourself. Yes, it is an obligation. Yes, it is. It is a duty. It is a privilege, but it is your responsibility.
1: This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we're halfway through his talk on kickstarting your prayer life. Please join us next time to hear the rest of the message. To hear more right now, you can head to the Vision Christian store, that's visionstore.org.au, and click on Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life.